Hello, and welcome to Searcher. On this episode of the show, I speak with Ramon Pez, an award-winning art director of magazine, bookmaking, and exhibition design, as well as illustration. Ramon, who is the head of art direction at Thames and Hudson, says his design springs from a content-driven and detail-oriented approach that is based on the idea that design is the architecture of storytelling. Ramon and I collaborated on the design for my first two books, Libyan Sugar and Yo Soy Fidel. His other book projects include Santa Barbara, On Abortion, Ponta City, and Afronauts. We centered our discussion on the photographic monograph, Why Photographers Make Books, and the thinking behind the process of making books, such as Kivu, a series of in-progress Congo books, and other books including Liberia Retold Bit by Bit, Open Sea, On Abortion, and Afronauts. This podcast was recorded last year, and there are sections where we discuss imagery and books that we were sharing over Zoom video. So my apologies if some of the conversation might be confusing. What's up, brother? How you doing? Um, I'm good, thanks. How about you? Good. We just had a really interesting conversation about the books. Past and, and future books. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, pretty interesting now because uh, there is, especially in photography, this general critique on the status quo and uh, responsibility of the author. This in general, but... You know, when you talk about photography, you have uh, someone who is the photographer that uh, have to take a choice when uh, take a picture, when shoot the picture. And uh, if you if you thinking shoot can be also very violent uh, uh, way of describe uh, an action. And um, at the same time, when the photographer. <coughs> have to select the pictures for telling a story. Uh, there are many levels of uh, choices and, and many spaces for uh, be critic about you know, your way of doing that, yeah. and your way of telling the story, uh, rewriting a story. Because, I mean, in every case, another complexity in that is, is our ego, because uh, we, we definitely should have an ego is part of how human beings are made. And uh, the big question is how you manage that. Before, uh, before uh, all the external things that can, can be, for example, now, um, you know, the reflection on uh, white, male, photographer, etc., is uh, <clears throat> if you have an ego and you choose this, uh, this job because your passion and you met other people around the world with stories and different cultures, uh, how you approach that. is, is definitely at the end of the day, the, the story you, you want to spread in the world, enough self, I can say that, is enough uh, universal and open to different uh, interpretation and translation, is enough... Uh, this structure enough well to leave the reader enough space for uh, his experience, his background, for getting his own way to reading that story. Right. Is and, there a way into the book? Yeah. Have you provided a way into the book? Exactly. Or 
through different things. You know, to, it's not only um, a physical space. It's a is a time space. Is a emotional space. Are all space that, uh, like an author, you should take care so much when you rewriting a story. I say re rewriting, which is um, a word that I love so much because um, rewriting. Because rewriting, yeah. Because the process of uh, creating a book is uh, is like that. I mean, the stories already exist in the in the planet, and uh, what we are doing is uh, is uh, find a way to rewrite and, and, and spread uh, stories that we think is important to, to tell to the others. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you put two pictures together, mm -hmm. you're creating uh, not just one way of interpretation. Mm -hmm. So depending on uh, also how the pictures are uh, together in the same space, you know, if uh, the one of, uh, of them is smaller or uh, is glued on top of the other, so if you are hiding part of the other picture or you have underneath something, some, some content or some message, and then there are many, many potential uh, ways of um, uh, creating uh, an atom of narrative with uh, you know, just two pictures. So, mm -hmm. And you can do that in every spread of, of a book. So you can, we can easily... Uh, thinking about uh, how complex and uh, how many possibilities have uh, a visual uh, visual storytelling, and is also yeah, and is also um, it's not only a physical space uh, that you are creating because uh, you have yeah. uh, two or more layers, but it's also a ti timing space because uh, you connecting pictures that are from different years, different time. Yeah, exactly. So it's, a, it's a travel also in the time, what you are doing in, the, in that spread you show. And, uh, and, and to um, also, you know, you can see the difference of the, 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 picture, the, the picture texture. For example, you have some pictures that you can easily reconnect to the 70s or 60s because, uh, uh, because the color because the, the dominance of the color, the kind of uh, noise the camera generate. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that is also, um, is also a, a narrative atom. Uh, because uh, if we reconnect this, uh, this uh, thinking on uh, what we were saying um, uh, at the end of the past conversation when you were showing uh, the ideas of uh, how what generates in your mind the idea of uh, telling the story of the castle funeral in that way and the mm -hmm. importance to have um, pictures with very deep details mm -hmm. and the difference between that and uh, for example the, the Kennedy funeral and the Paul Fusco way of taking that pictures uh, out of focus uh, during the train travel the out the out of focus of a picture the the grain, the, the noise, the picture having are uh, atoms of narrative. In your case, yeah. for example, because you was talking about yeah ma many things, many many way of uh, um, trans translate the story you had in your Fidel. One of that uh, could be, uh, for example, the the impossible tension to to get forever a, a dictatorship or a 
because humans are mortal. So because at the end, if um, the, the, the the father of a country have to die, in that case uh, of Castro was pretty clear. You know the the the, the story like uh, Castro die and then <clears throat> the world Cuba is on the street, but how many of that people was celebrating uh, Castro and how many of that people was uh, in the street because they had to be there. Yeah. So in that case, for me, it was very important your extremely deep uh, detail uh, that you can read in your photos. You know, this um, clear mirror that you are facing when you see that street. You can see the details of every people there, the, the expressions of the face, you can also try to, to thinking who is happy to be there, who is not happy to be there. This is why it was very important that kind of uh, precision on the on, on your pictures. Yeah. For example, for Paul Fusco, Paul Fusco's story was so important that out of focus because uh, you know because the story of uh, oh, yeah. Kennedy and uh, campaign and before the. Yeah, it was the assassination a of, of the brother. Yeah, it was a metaphor. It was a, you know, it's something that uh, <clears throat> came out from your uh, from your hands. You you can handle, and it's something. It's a story that is blur, mm. and uh, also the technical aspect can right ha have a lot of narrative potential, and and choosing the right one is you know like sometimes Mike, uh, yeah, you know better than me. Then uh, we have. Uh, we can have uh, between photographers and and people involved in the in the uh, photographic books. We can have this conversation about uh, what's going on if you mix up black and white and color, or you know, kind of resistance on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are some boundaries that uh, are in the in the job we we're doing. You know, it's uh, it's like using a digital camera or analog or or mix up the both. How do you feel about that, though? It's, uh, it's depending on the story. Like the example of your, your Stoy Fidel project or the example of the Paul Fusco book is dep really depending on the story. So there is, there, is no, uh, there is no rules, I think, when you're creating a narrative. The only rules uh, it's positive to have is uh, are rules that are uh, uh, forcing you to... You know, to 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 the action, to to try to. I uh, think uh, most of the projects uh, where I was working on was a lot of work behind, and I learned from that uh, how important it is to put the things uh, together on a table, on stitch on the wall, or uh, uh, whatever in a small paper dummy or in digital, and then constantly rewriting the the story, constantly rewriting the project. You know, like a puzzle, like to find which piece is uh, is perfect close to the, to the another one. For do that, is the only thing help in that case. I think is uh, is is trying trying to put the pictures together, the text, the pictures, the drawings, all the content you have, and rewriting and rewriting until you have a good uh, a good idea or a roughly good mock-up, and then from that time starting to drop out the unnecessary things and yeah. have a process of distillation of distillate the things until that you have the perfect picture in the perfect place because you think that atom of narrative have to be in the page mm -hmm. it's pretty artwork but uh, also very 
enjoyable process. What do you think? Yeah. One thing I like about uh, working with you is you're very open. You're very transparent. You understand the rules, but you don't pay attention to the rules. Ultimately, you have to keep things open if you want to make new things. You can't stay in the boundaries. So, like even with this with this work, what also excites me about it is that so much of the Congo is there, looks that way, is that way because of colonization. Yeah. As so many foreigners have over the years, they've come into Congo and just ransacked the place, made a fortune, and then left. You could almost look at the photographs I have from Congo in the same way as myself going into Congo for whatever reasons I have, the photographs I take, when I come out, I have some good photographs, they help me, they help my career. What are they doing for the people? So yeah. this book is really a chance for me to help make something for the Congolese that not only records their history, but gives them voice. The problem I have with making a book that is just my pictures is that that I'm saying, look, this is me, but it's not, you know, these images are not mine. Of course, if you speak with any artist who knows what they're doing, they know that at the end of the day, whatever they create is not theirs. It's given to them from somebody, yeah. right? The greatest work is not like, yeah, of course, you know, we practice for years and we have skills and, you know, we, but the greatest work is the work that is given to you. You, know, you encounter it, something comes into your mind and something... The way I've always seen this Congo work is just, you know, the work is good, but it's lacking something. What these images can do is that these can give a lot of the photographs I have not only more weight, but they can allow my photographs to speak through their voice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful, this, uh, this world. I don't know very well the story of Congo, but... Uh, Things that I know uh, is, of course, was a pretty big story of colonization, and uh, and that wall is is really meaningful. Yeah. I mean, it's the you know the way of that people had for uh, leave a sign, you know, for leave uh, their name on the wall. So for say, like we 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 pass through to this place, and we we pass through this story, and is the the opposite of uh, what's colonization doing. You know, colonization is uh, delating the story of the others. So, for example, if you see what happened in Latin America when you know, uh, the right. Spaniards occupy territories, and that specific case, thanks to the, to the church, thanks to the Catholic Church, the, that colonization was uh, literally building the new symbols of power on top of the, 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 the others. So most of that church are, are built on top of pyramids or, uh, you know. So mo th there are many ways of, um, of telling the story, but uh, showing the complexity is, uh, in this case, is, is, uh, is really important. And then, yeah, your critic approach is, uh, is also... I think uh, important, like uh, uh, for example, when you are thinking about how you can, uh, you know, show your pictures in relation with the story, 
and uh, or the way how you combine pictures from the archive on top of your pictures is uh, is is definitely part of this rewriting. It's definitely part of the your critic approach, which I think is uh, is very important. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, uh, most of the time when we are doing a books, uh, we are creating a mirror. We are creating um, a space where uh, the reader and uh, and ourselves, like the authors, um, we can uh, we can reflect on the on the stories or our personal story, and uh, and we can uh, we can get uh, a different way of uh, thinking to what happened or what is happening now. You know, even for example, this story of Congo is, is not uh, only something happening in the story; it's something happening happen every day, and it's really contemporary. If you're thinking about what uh, what is happening in U.S. now, and not only U.S. but uh, for example, uh, uh, other countries in Europe that had colonies and made colonization, and um, and I think that one of the big problems for an author is to the way how create this mirror, you know, if you create the mirror, for example, you being in Congo for, for some reason, and, uh, and you now creating a mirror, thinking about uh, people who, who live there, or people had, had lived the, that past. And uh, yeah, I can imagine you, you thought before or after about how they can they can in translate the, the images of the combination of images uh, I put in, in that pages, and uh, and that is making your mirror, I think, uh, more uh, open and complex. And the problem is when we are creating a mirror that is a project um, that is making a projection of uh, a very strong projection that we decide have to be like that. If you are an author, you creating through to these pages, that mirror where the interpretation of the story is A and uh, and forcing the reader to literally read the story in that way, I think is, uh, especially in, in complex stories like this one, where you had colonization and uh, syncretism. Yeah, in that case, we, we, we can make a very bad bad work, a very bad uh, job. Well, these landscapes especially, I feel like much of the imagery I have, I'm showing what is no longer alive. Like I'm not referring to the people, I'm referring to what was left. Roads, for example. When it was a colony, the Belgians would take care of it, so the roads would work. There would always be working services, and when they left, you know, the country became... Well, it was always a kleptocracy even when the king was there and for hundreds of years back until Congo was in fully controlled by the tribes ever since the, the Spanish came in and everyone else came in. It just became uh, the place to plunder. I'm photographing the remains of this and meanwhile, Mado's images and Moise's images. So he's the Congolese photographer and he has many self-portraits, just really beautiful. They have the intimate images because it's photographs of their life and photographs of their friends and themselves. My images are for the context. 
for these more intimate moments where you're really meeting these people and really learning. I think that we have a really great opportunity with this where we can not only visually make something that is more along the lines of like uh, Jim Goldberg's Open Sea. Have you seen his book called Open Sea? It's a series of um, four books. No. I think they came out in 2010 or something. I saw the exhibition in Paris. And it's a series of four books that he made on international migration. Um, okay. The way he structured the book is largely like this. He'll have a photograph of his, but then you'll see that the photographs, all the photographs in the books, I believe, are his. But many of the photographs, he's shooting Polaroid and he'll like lay a Polaroid near another image and have somebody sign the Polaroid you know, yeah. or write something in their handwriting. So you see their handwriting, you read their story, you see their picture, and then you see another. There's really no text in it except for the handwriting of the people, which is beautiful, which is great. So this is like similar in that way, but we're using their photographs as well, plus really providing not only, say, historical information about Goma yeah. and just something about the city, that can connect into other pages, but we're just making cross connections. When I think about Hetherington's Liberia book, can you see this? Yeah. So basically you'll go to, say, the middle of the book. You see this, it's a location. There's a little information about it. Then at the bottom, see pages 361. When you go to page, say you're on page 3 here, you'll see something that is related to the same building. Maybe it's inside that building or something. Then underneath, you have this historical information that really gives you so much more context for this image. Then it says go to page 98. You go to 98. But then many of these images, it gives you a few different options. So there's a handful of pages, page numbers. Go to 94 or 144 or 174. So depending on which one you choose, the way you go move through the book can be unique every time, which I imagine okay. there's probably millions of combinations of ways. And infinite Again, these images are all his photographs. Let's say this is my book. We do it with the yeah. pictures. Then we can cross-reference so you can go into other books. So it just makes more combinations. But then it's almost kind of overwhelming for someone who's type A, like myself, who wants to do, like, learn as much as I can and get everything, this, you could spend months going through this book, learning everything, because the way That's that amazing. we process books, the way we process books is very, usually very straight. You know, we go through, we can be done in five minutes. So many books I flip through very quickly, I see, like, especially the books without any text, it's like, okay, I get it, great, fine. I put it on the shelf. But these books that really... When you're somebody like us coming into a place like this, we can't say that, like, this is how these people exist. Look how they live. Because we are, we as Westerners, we are collectively responsible yeah. for much of their reality, their economic system, their opportunities. So it's almost like I feel like I'm blaming the Congolese if I just have a book of just my work. It's like, look... Here's you. Yeah, it's a, you know, a, a good, uh, good thing to, 
to see can be the anthropological photo, um, anthropological pictures made in that area because uh, yeah in that in that kind of uh, images you can find literally this uh, the cultural colonization you know most of the time are straightforward pictures of people and uh, yeah set up for uh, you know be um, kind of scientific data, but uh, when we look into that pictures, can we feel how that people who had no idea of what was a photo, uh, from them expressions, what they could think in that, in that moment. There's a white man yeah. arriving and making this picture for, for uh, which kind of reason? Right. Yeah, it's also, it's also an, interesting, uh, an interesting story that... Uh, you know, pass through all that archive material and uh, and uh, and try to try to figure out um, the difference between uh, the way of taking that pictures and the way of how the subjects were treated for uh, for get that images. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is uh, yeah. Actually, I think uh, I think it's good to show the the process of work because I mean, for example, I'm I'm always curious to know what. The, the, the picture is representing which part of the story and and uh, and and that is helping me to understanding why why you got that picture why is important for you why in that part of the narrative structure is uh, necessary so not just uh, you know just see a picture but also asking to you the meaning your your uh, your uh, meaning so the meaning you get from that uh, when you decide to take that picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that um, is, is something that I, I never did. I, I don't think uh, I don't think somebody somebody did that, Michael. Did but uh, like uh, re recording recording the process of work, like for example, the passing through the pages, some stage, and talking about page by page the why, uh, you know, the why you choose that pictures, the the why the um, uh, image uh, selection, but also. Yeah, all the choices, but also that is possible to do with uh, uh, already made books, for example. If you take Libyan Sugar and we pass through page by page from the cover, the why, you know, and that what's behind the other options we had that we drop out because uh, we're not working or we thought was not uh, good enough. Good enough is almost German. Good enough. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of like young energy in this book, where it's just bored and aggression, and yeah, that is the blue good, font yeah. is almost like the 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 yin, you know, it's like the blue text of love in a way. Red is just so so powerful and strong and so dominant, but blue, you know, like a blue sky or a blue ocean or a blue wall or a blue text. It's like you know, you want to go in that direction. Yeah, <coughs> is a uh, not conventional color for uh, for the text, so that uh, open your mind to um, you know different kind of interpretation. Like for example, uh, the blue can give to you uh, more hope than you know black color, and also for example, black color is the the common color. Uh, that can also give to you the feel of uh, uh, forever. It's a kind of epigraph, you know. It's like uh, okay, it's like uh, 
grave on the stone, like uh, it's black color on the white page. And then, and the blue one have a different feel, like sometimes you can, you can feel that more provisional or uh, uh, expandable or uh, also our messages and emails uh, mix up with uh, direct pages. So, and, and yeah, and that choice we, we were speaking uh, the other time about uh, uh, leaving the, uh, to, to not edit that test, but leaving also the, uh, you know, the mistakes that you can, you can get easily when, you, when you're writing on a chat or you're writing a message to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that gave the feel of, uh, you know, was, uh, uh, I think, engage more the, 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 the reader, you know? Yeah. Serif font. Yeah. Yeah, the Times yeah. font, um, the Times font is like this neutral font because it's the font of a lot of newspapers. So it's a font that is like, when we talk about journalism and reading news articles, we're just getting information, say it's like a scene of war. You're just getting the amount of people who were killed, the amount of bombs that were dropped, um, the pure information, the font that we have grown to sort of know as the translator for, for what we read as the truth is the Times font. Yeah. So in a way, when you read the Times font, the emotion that you gather should, should be coming more from the content you're reading than the appearance of the font. So in that way, the font becomes more invisible on the page. Yeah. So it's a sort of uh, neutral quality. The invisible nature of the font combined with the blue color really becomes something that is like, like a little fairy has dropped a drop of her whatever it is. I'm not talking about like you know, the greatness of anything in any book, but it's like this, this, this emotional quality where, where despite what you're looking at or reading in the book, no matter how horrific it is, um, it gives you something to hold on to. Yeah, and at the same time, yeah, it's unifying <clears throat> the different way of writing. Uh, like a page of diary, for example, uh, is a, is a completely different um, kind of reading to a message uh, or an email, for example, where we left uh, all the, the structure of, uh, of uh, the emails we're receiving, like from, from to subject, you know, all the hierarchy of uh, uh, the emails. The, the, the day, the date, the, the hour when was uh, was sent, that for me is also important to see the day where the message was where, uh, was sent, the, the the hour. With the book, a lot of photographers feel like the book is the ultimate place for the work. There are some photographers who feel their work, the ultimate place is on the wall of the gallery or inside the yeah. museum, which I think with the Libya book, with the Libya work, the ultimate place should be more of like an exhibition format because there's video and there's other components with this Congo work I think it's primarily the book so so if I say that that the book is the final resting place once we make this book this is a way that we can close the project one example of that is 
the Congo work on my website. There's a few different kinds of work on there, but the work is all jumbled and you don't really get the idea of what the Congo work is about. For me, what we're making now in this book will tell people what this Congo work is about and why I did this. Versus the website is just, the website is there and so I can get work. The website is not there as a way to uh, really share these stories. Versus the book is. So what you and I are making is like the way to finally present this work, though it is a reflection of who we are, which is really how I see photo books in general, and that is also why the book feels like, for so many photographers, the way to wrap the project and close the project, because it's the fulfillment of everything they want to show people. Here's all the pictures I have, and here's all the text, and here's everything I want to say is here. Yeah. All here. This is so much bigger than than a website. Yeah, it's a standalone um, device. It's a standalone device that becomes a reflection of our ego and our beliefs and everything that we... So, uh, so we have to be careful. Yeah, that is a good question. Why are you thinking is uh, so important, for example, like an outdoor? There is uh, this paradox, like uh, uh, probably uh, with an exhibition, you can reach more people Especially when we're talking about photo books, right? Which is uh, when it's an online exhibition, you mean, or something? Or, for example, oh, but right. let's talk about about classic exib exhibition. So you can have much more people uh, who can read your story in an exhibition in one month than in the whole life of that book. Yeah, because, way more people. Yeah, way more people. Yeah, because maybe you publish a few thousand books. Yeah, Maybe he has exactly. uh, 3,000 copies of this, and that's it. And that's it. And with the exhibition, you can reach more people, for example, but the exhibition is not permanent. It's something that at uh, some point involves a lot of energy. We know that because our experience in, in art, a lot of energy and a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking, and then suddenly disappear, which is, you know, is pretty... For me, that is a really uh, interesting, uh, interesting thing, you know? So to creating uh, a space where uh, you put so much energy and so much people involved, and then after, you know, a few weeks, that thing disappeared completely. And the only record you can have of that are pictures you got from the or video you get from the exhibition. And to me, it's fascinating, that thing, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, the book has this idea of be permanent. Like, uh, you know, the book is uh, like forever, which, mm. if you're thinking about the material, is this so fragile thing that uh, we really can't, can't think to, you know, the book can survive uh, so, so long in the time. Yeah, Even, I wanted to speak with you about was <laughs> how, how can we make these books last when we talk about like everything happening in the planet right now? Yeah. You have experience in the military. So yeah. you understand that human society, it can yeah. all be gone like this. Can we make a book 
that is made out of uh, kryptonite that lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we can You're do the Rosetta Stone. You should know. <laughs> yeah, we can make the Rosetta Stone, for example. It's in the Met in New York, and it's something made thousands of years ago. Uh, I think uh, most of the people can't read that because it's uh, kind of cuneiform alphabet. But that it has more, more years than, uh, than uh, you know, any civilization that we think uh, uh, was great. And, um, but, uh, yeah, probably if, uh, I mean, in general, from my experience, uh, the idea of a book is, is a device that can survive to us. And this is true. So our life is more fragile than a book, can be more fragile than a book, but... Um, True, um, right. It reminds me of, uh, was it Blade Runner? Where he's walking into, um, he's walking through like the records and in the records you can see what's been, because when the great, whatever it was, hit, then all the hard drives, computers, everything was shut down and erased and lost. And so all they had left was, was the paper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The paper Wait. and the thing, you know, the teeth and you know the things that 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 can actually hold weight with horrible catastrophes, you know, depending on what they are. Yeah, yeah but still, at the end of the day, it's paper that we're talking about. You know, we're paper. making things that that might not, like all the books that you've worked on, will those be around in a thousand years? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, like, how do you um, feel about that? I never thought about that, to be honest, because uh, uh, as soon as I finish a book, I'm feeling kind of distance that I want to take. And uh, at the end of the process, to me, is the most frustrating thing because uh, it's beautiful until the book being, you know, bound together. But when, when the, the first copy gets to my hands and uh, I, I almost never open up to see the result because... Uh, I'm, uh, my ego is very worried about the mistakes I can find inside. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, and then usually I leave the book six months in my, you know, somewhere in my studios. And sometimes I don't have the last copies because some of the copies are in Barcelona. Some of the copies are in London. I'm in Italy right now. And, uh, and yeah, because I had to get you copies, this, I think, of the Libya book even, because you didn't have, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I leave these things uh, for months or years, and then, and then I'm back to see again, and uh, I can have enough uh, distance to, you know, not mm. feel frustrated uh, because of uh, my obsession, but uh, enjoy, enjoy the, the, the product enjoy the, you know, the, the artwork uh, we made. And, uh, but I need time. I need time uh, because I know I'm not uh, objective. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, I, and I know in the, the same way that... You can't be of your uh, work. It's so Yeah, hard. exactly. So also is, is uh, one of the art parts uh, when the process is ongoing is to uh, help the author and yeah, the designer too. I mean, the, the, the whole team involved in that to be objective is really, really, really hard. Mm. It's really hard to also, uh, for example, another paradox is um, surely every photographer have a favorite picture. Man, and most I don't of have the time, any favorite photographs. I don't have any favorite photographs, Ramon. 
That's part of the reason why none of my photographs are in the walls anywhere in the house, the studio. I like it's also why I've never really been that interested in having exhibitions because I don't want to, you know, because yeah. I believe the work I make is finished. You know, the work yeah. on the website says ongoing, even for the Libya work, because I feel like the Libya work, even though we made the book, and even if we eventually have an exhibition, which we've never had, will it be over then? I don't know. I feel like it's still going. Yeah, I guess... It, Maybe I can, you feel can, that way about the books? Maybe you feel like even if you complete a book, that it's still never finished? I guess so. I mean, these are... Also, the ending of the process to me is something, you know, uh, like uh, uh, we had to take uh, a deadline. So we have to, we have to finish something. But this uh, is, um, to me, it's never the final point. It's just, uh, you know, um, it's, um, in the timeline of the process, you arrive at the point that you have to make that concrete, like uh, make that solid, like, okay, now we're going, we're going to press. Right, and so publish, ultimately publish it becomes more like a catalog instead of like, this is the book we made. You know, it becomes yeah. like, okay, very sort of expected and it has a structure because you have the deadline, especially with your current job yeah. um, where you're in charge of like a team of designers, you're working on a certain amount of books that all have... Yeah you know, that have to be out by a certain, certain date. Yeah, at some point you have to, to have uh, one of the possible infinite uh, version of the book ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, that we did with the Libya book where we had, we had all the time in the world. Yeah, but Remember for example... Publisher, he said that he would have published it years ago in the initial condition Yeah, with the initial version I sent him, which was a very you know, a blurb book Yeah. that he would publish it then. But we spent three years working on it here and there, coming back to it, working on it again. And so we'd get it to the point to where it actually, you yeah, know, that, that's a good much point, better right? than it was originally. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, sometimes uh, one of the questions that I, I facing most of the time when uh, I'm talking with authors or, you know, when, when I'm teaching and, in the workshops with our students is uh, about um, um, how long time should take to create the book and publish. Uh, I, I never had uh, an answer to that, like, uh, or better. The only answer is the time you need, you know, because uh, you can make a book in two weeks and it's perfect, that stage of the storytelling, or you can take seven years and it's perfect too. It's really personal, this thing. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, <clears throat> you know, we are talking between artists, but uh, uh, if, you, if you have uh, a publisher involved in this discussion, uh, of course, you have to uh, put on the table also words like uh, marketing, selling, and uh, which is right, because it's, it's, a, it's, it's that industry that mm -hmm. made the, the creation of the book possible. Yeah. The ultimate creation of the book, the distribu distribution. Mm. And you have, for sure, you have stories that are perfectly on time because society is involved in that kind of questions. Society is involved in that uh, 
kind of uh, imaginary you are creating. There are books that are perfect for the timing that uh, they are released. For example, uh, we, we know the case of, uh, you know, in the photo book world, uh, the case of um, uh, how Afronauts was uh, so popular in 2012-13. Okay, so the Afronauts, for the people Afronauts listening was, who are uh, not familiar with the Afronauts, this was a book that was published what year? It was, uh, was published in 2000, between 2012-2013. Okay. And, uh, and, and what was a... Uh, very fast becoming a, a, a big successful in the in the photography world in the in the in the photo why books. was that why um, did it become so big for think? many reasons because i think the, the, the story and the the project was a different way of uh, you know mm-hmm. using photography for storytelling story was pretty pretty new pretty fresh the way and then also was a self publishing it was a uh, was very well produced, so it was uh, in that in that moment probably the small market of the photo books really needs some example of uh, you know a solid self-published photo book. So to give to the photographers the 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 sense of uh, uh, the confidence for uh, you know you can do by your own a book that's gonna sell gonna be sold out in few months. Right, and, it proved uh, if you had a strong enough concept yeah, and a strong enough and work that you can make the book yourself and it can rise. Exactly. The project was great. I mean, the, the story was great because it was... Uh, uh, Zambian space program, right? Exactly. It was a part of true story. A part was fiction and was, uh, was a... A new way of uh, making a photography project, you know, a kind of new way. Yeah. And uh, there was briefly, it was what, like in the 1950s or something, briefly, the Zambian government, was it the Zambian yeah. government? Yeah. Um, had decided that they wanted to start a space program that never really went anywhere, right? Oh, probably it was more, was more a, a teacher in the Zambian school. Right. It was something very personal, I, I guess. I don't remember yeah, where, very well now the story, but... Um, right. For the, for so the, the, yeah, go ahead. For the reason I explained before, because I need a distance from the projects for uh, get again involved in a short time in a new project. So I, I try... It's, it's pretty natural to me. I try to forget immediately the, 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 project, the project just finished because... Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I need to, you know, probably like an actor, I need to, you know, get out from the story for go deeper in the, in the next one. But if you're thinking about that story uh, right now, you know, um, all the protest is, uh, is coming, mm-hmm. all the, you know, the new, uh, finally, yeah, the, the, the new way of thinking about uh, the same uh, photography industry, uh, maybe now was, probably was not, uh, so successful or probably was so much criticized oh the afronauts yeah exactly yeah because the afronauts probably was uh was the worst project in that in that moment in this moment it's really depending of uh also what happened in the in the world right now for example your story is so universal the libyan sugar that uh doesn't doesn't need to get out when ah look there's the afronauts this is, such, this is such a... 
what I love about this book is just how free it is. Because so the Zambian space program never really never existed, but the book is like an imagination of yeah the imagination. So it's like a visual illustration of that what that could look like, but it's just exactly. this beautiful representation of this imagined uh, program. But yeah. what it's really about is this, this commentary on colonization because with colonization came the guns, came uh, steel, came these new technologies for, for example, the Africans, for many of the Africans. And so um, this became something they wanted because, wow, look at that, a gun that, that, that can kill like a thing that is that is that spews this like magic fire you know and now the newest thing are like space shuttles that are going into yeah. space we can build our own we can have our own so it's really a lot of it is about like this 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 uh, chasing of the technology but that is a certain kind of programming that's a certain conditioning that's been going on for hundreds of years because the Congo King, the last one, Alfonso, I believe, he had renamed himself after the Spanish King. When he fully realized what was really happening, he resisted. He tried to stop it. But at that point, it was too late because the slave trade was already in. There was no way that he could control the Congo anymore. But he tried to resist when he saw that. So the book is also about like that, not about the resistance. The book is about like, for me at least, it is about this idea of um, what remains from colonization and this, this uh, desire to have the new technology and the new things. But really, that is what has uh, not only destroyed African culture, but destroyed yeah. world culture. Yeah, I think uh, you was right. The, the the deeper title is "What If," because uh, is uh, what, what if? Yeah, because it's um, helping you to imagine what could be, you know, the the contemporary if uh, if um, really exist the African program, space program, and this forcing so much the re the the reality to to be almost uh, almost real the story. Like uh, at the end, you can you can really imagine that thing thanks to the you know to the pictures and the, the way how the story was uh, and also the, the the tension between what uh, uh, you think uh, can be real and, and what you, what is clearly not real. There are uh, very rough collage that uh, get from uh, internet images and, um, and you can see because it's very rough. You can see that is. Um, is a collage. It's not real, mm. but uh, sometimes showing showing that thing is making the story uh, more engaging. Is let uh, is let the the reader trust more in what could be, what can happen. Yeah, because so, even the name itself, the Afro Nuts. Yeah, Afro. We, yeah, which was a, good, a very this good title. Yeah, back to the to the thing we was talking before uh, yeah. is perfect mirror, you know, 
This is a perfect mirror, not only for the story. But the book in general is a mirror. The book in general uh, is a mirror because uh, uh, you can, uh, in the best cases, uh, when you, like we, we, we were saying before, you can uh, give enough space to the reader to <clears throat> you know, take his own uh, interpretation of the story uh, because uh, every one of us have different background, different experience. So um, if the book is, uh, the storytelling is uh, enough well-made, uh, you can have infinite kind of uh, interpretation and translation about, uh, of the story. And uh, in that case, because, uh, because what we, we, we were saying before also was a big mirror for you know, the <coughs> photography industry, for the editorial, um, uh, editorial photographic uh, market, for the, right. also, also for the for photographer. For the entire complex. Yeah, yeah, for the photographer because uh, uh, was showing thanks to other books that came at the same time, self uh, self published. Uh, was this idea of uh, you know, you are an author, you have a good story, and it's not easy to publish your uh, your story if it's good enough. Mm. This yeah. was also a changing also for the industry in that time, you know, 2012. Yeah, because of these really small print runs. We're making books for not only for ourselves, but we're making it for for our community mostly. Yeah. Because the print runs generally are so small, one thousand, couple thousand, maybe three thousand copies. Um, so many of these books are small print runs, and the people who buy them are other photographers, or maybe curators, or you know, other folks also buy them too. But I think. Most of the people who buy these things are photo book collectors and photo book enthusiasts and people yeah. really, by and large, a lot of the books we make are not for the public. Yeah. Photo book wise, unless it's like photographs of um, polar bears or landscapes or like the yeah, Aphronauts. Cool. Like this, cool. this amazing book, but there's only how many copies? A couple thousand copies and... Um, like I think of it like uh, when I think of writers, right? Of course, uh, James Joyce has his work all over the world. It can be like very hard to read and understand his work. But for writers, he's a genius. Like maybe in that time, if uh, James Joyce had a thousand copies of his work or a few thousand copies, most of the people who would have it would probably be other writers. Yeah, if you're thinking, uh, I mean, the how many copies the books that, that we think now are very popular or, or are, are publishing in uh, thousands of copies, historical books yeah. uh, or uh, novels of the past. At the beginning was, uh, I mean, for, for, for hundreds of years, the, the books uh, was, uh, reading a book was a privilege for uh, Mm. You know, a, a very small society, uh, white, white society, mm-hmm. and um, and was something very for 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 few few people like a few copies, and they cop- because uh, producing a book was uh, so expensive also, right, and uh, not only that you know also the scholarization and uh, 
uh, how many people uh, could uh, could read at that times. Yeah, if you're thinking about medieval books, uh, was something made in few copies for uh, for very few people. Right. Most most of the time was controlled by a, a strong system of power, like uh, uh, the church, Catholic Church, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you're thinking otherwise, how popular it is now, and how easy it is to you know publish a book now. Right. So it's extremely easy if you compare to the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for this reason, I think uh, uh, when uh, I look into the photo book world, I'm thinking that the limit number of copies or the, yeah, the small dif- pub, um, distribution of that mm-hmm. is not really technical limit or um, you know, uh, something that uh, depending only of the market, but is also depending about uh, how many people is uh, allow and educated to read uh, that kind of storytelling, visual narrative, or complex stories that mix up uh, illustration, photography, and uh, and writing. And uh, you know, it's the same for the exhibition. How many people is really really educated in the schools to uh, read a picture? Yeah, right. Yeah, in France, you're, you're, you know, it's one example that so much of the population is well-educated to read photographs. And how important, we, this is a, a, political, uh, a political thing also, how is it important to having a universal language, which is uh, through the pictures, uh, you know, spread to, uh, in many copies, enrich not only the, the photo book lovers, a uh, small group, of people, but uh, many more, many more people and, and readers. Yeah, it's not only depending of the market; it's also depending of uh, education. It's also depending of uh, uh, you know uh, us, like uh, authors, designer who are involved in this thing, to uh, making something that is not only for our small group of people who can understand, mm-hmm. but is more universal, and that can be. Uh, easily spread uh, in different countries with different culture because uh, you have the power of the of the image and, and also you have the problems of talking with one image because we know how the photography can be you know mis- misunderstood or use it for uh, for being misunderstood yeah. You, yeah, we you really, know, if you think uh, about the Russian collage or the you know all the propaganda, um, mm. all the propaganda that used photography in the past. Yeah. So, but no, knowing that can be can be also, yeah, it's pretty similar to the fake news. Uh, if you know much better the uh, the tool, and if you know much better the language, you can understand better if it's a if it's a fake news or if it's a you can understand better the story. You can take your choice. Mm. Yeah, do you feel any kind of responsibility as a designer? I mean, is I that enough? Is it enough that like we make these books? And uh, What's the final purpose of making a photo book? If, if the pur- purpose is for the, for the author to get uh, success or uh, you know, a prize or for, for his career, you know, no way to do photo books in that way. Apart the you know the personal uh, uh, the personal experience that the author get. 
But yeah. if the, the ultimate purpose to making a book is to spread, share with others uh, important stories or share important questions, I mean, if, if at the end of the day, a book is giving to us questions, is, is made, uh, have made already the job. And um, yeah, the question is uh, how to make a, a photo book more popular. Popular not because uh, it's becoming, uh, you know, so a brand in the, the mass market, but uh, because uh, the stories are so universal and important and, and because we're using mm. uh, uh, a visual narrative, which is, uh, can be accessible to different cultures and, and, and different countries. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's not only a market problem, it's also the way how we're doing the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we were talking before about the difference between exhibition and the number of people that can, can get the story from an exhibition and the number of people that can get that from an art book or a photo book. And uh, yeah, if the final purpose is the story, share the story, uh, we definitely need to rethink uh, from the distribution to the, to the way of how the books are made. These uh, are questions that I have on the table where, when I'm working with the authors and um, sometimes we, we got solutions you know, for uh, make the book more uh, accessible or make the book, uh, if, if it's so important story, uh, like, for example, one of the books that recently uh, I was working uh, in that direction is the, the Lie of Real on Abortion, because, uh, yeah, on Abortion, for example, is the, the book that arrived per- in perfectly timing to the, to, the, to the market, to the distribution, because... Uh, uh, was uh, two years ago, it was exactly uh, the time where many countries, not only Europe, but also Latin America, were, uh, you know, facing the abortion thing mm. uh, in a political way, mm-hmm. where many protests around the world. And, uh, and that book was worth it to be printed in so many copies, not only, mm-hmm. and, and was made uh, uh, thanks to the author exactly for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So have to be a visual narrative that people understand and uh, have to be sell, uh, produced in, in, in many copies. So, was, for example, for, for be a photo book is a, is a big production because it was 4,000 copies. When, yeah. when a, a normal photo book, when reach 1,000, is already um, an average, is already a goal. And, so, um, and were many of those copies going to, say, governments... And organizations that were dealing with abortion in some way. Uh, I, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't involved in the distribution, but uh, was used for many, uh, you know, for many uh, exhibitions uh, that were not only in the small circuit of art exhibitions, but was also, you know, in uh, uh, institutions, mm. NGO. and uh, and that was the the way how the book uh, that book works. So it was uh, mm. uh, an effort to make that enough, uh, you know, good quality, and uh, for uh, breaking, breaking the, the boundaries of the, the small art um, artwork space. Mm. And uh, yeah, and the outdoor audit it uh, was uh, very well uh, received also outside the artwork. That is so smart. My former roommate, Laia Abril. The messier photography. 
<laughs> she is. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know if if now is a good uh, is a good uh, uh, comparison because uh, the situation of the Barcelona FC ah, yeah, club. Of course, yeah, yeah, that would have been a good term a couple of years ago for. <laughs> yes. So, with that said, with this Congo book, with this Congo work, we're sort of encountering a similar situation where this is not abortion, but we're doing this in a time that is oh, yeah, exactly uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Is uh is another very important story. And we're doing um, this in a time that 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 we're talking about representation in the time that we're talking about colonization. We're talking about you know the history of race in America, the history of race around the world. We are working on a project in Congo that that combines the perspective of a American white male, a Congolese commando, and a Congolese photographer. Yeah. And we're talking about combining these three these three perspectives and circumstances into one project. But we have an opportunity here where we can, just as I believe with Libyan sugar was maybe useful for the people who were interested in the experience of going to war more than just the people who are interested in collecting the photo books or, um, you know, the photo student in school. Maybe some historians of Libya too are interested. But with the Congo project, it's a whole different thing. So the question is, who is our audience? And what are we really doing here to like expand what has already been said about the Congo? Because photographers have already made books about the Congo in the past. I actually have a handful of them here. Still go through them occasionally to see what they were doing to make sure that we do our own thing. If anything, because of this, this, this awakening, if you want to call it that, we have an opportunity to... Well, I can set the context up, but, but the voice is primarily theirs. Yeah, I think that is the is the first very very good step uh, from the people who live that story to to telling that. So give to them the mic, basically, and uh, exactly giving them the mic, and, and then trying to tell the story not only to the ones who still in that situation, the ones who live that situation, but also to the to the ones like us who had the privilege from that kind of situations mm -hmm. because uh, our economies being you know creative and grew up because of that oh yeah so for example uh i found even now even now in congo so many of the oh, minerals yeah, yeah, exactly. we need in our electronics they come yeah, from definitely. congo so that can be a process for, for the outdoor but in general for the outdoors i guess it's really great practice to be, you know, foreigner to to his uh, to foreigners to them own language. That what, being, what did you say? Sorry, foreigners to what? Foreigners to them their own language. Mm, right. This is a can be a, a can be a very important practice to every author. It's like because. Uh, uh, our language is uh, is the structure and and you know yeah the cultural structure from where we we come in and be foreigners to our own language is uh, 
trying to, to break that structure and, and get a step step out to <clears throat> uh, to becoming a trigger for uh, for the stories that uh, <clears throat> are uh, out of your um, background mm. and uh, and questioning about that. If questioning about that, like an author, uh, yeah, everybody needs to be doubts and not uh, answers. So to not not having answers to, to to say in the book, but having you know be uh, be move and be and be you know and generating the the storytelling thanks to the energy of your uh, doubts. Exactly. The last thing I want to do is like leave people with just my idea of Congo. There's a value in the outsider perspective coming in, like Robert Frank in America <clears throat> or something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, imagine if he would have, okay, my work in Congo is not Robert Frank in America, but it's through a certain lens for sure. We can't just make a book that just has one, that just has my perspective because it's missing so much. Yeah, I, no, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Because, uh, yeah, I can't, Versus in I, Libya, we could do that in Libya because the story was, even though a lot of the photographs are about the revolution, the story is not about the revolution. I mean, it is, but it's really, the revolution is an overland journey. The real journey of that work is an inner journey that follows the course of, not that I was a hero because I was not, but the hero's journey is that journey. That is Libyan sugar, right? You go to a place, you like have this experience that, that changes your life and you, know, you come out of it with a message. Yeah. And one of the messages of that work is that, you know, it's why I use the Kurt Vonnegut quote, the, uh, the passage from Slaughterhouse-Five at the beginning of the book, where he talks about how ultimately all the fighters, all the John Waynes and all these like heroes are just little kids. The patriarchy of this planet has, is killing us. And, what and, do you think it, about, uh... and it will ultimately destroy us unless... We give in more to this yin energy, you know? We yeah. let women, we let them control things. You know, the pygmies, the pygmy society is matriarchal. Everybody has an equal say, but the men ultimately, they do not make the choices. Yeah, exactly. You know, the chief is a male and the men can do things women can't, but the women ultimately have the say. And that's the way of the forest has been for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years because women have a way of organization and a way of holding power that is powerless. So an example is the women's march that I covered in Washington, D.C. a few years ago where there were literally millions of women on the street. As a photographer covering something like that, I thought that it was going to be so difficult because when you want to cross a crowd as a photographer of thousands, millions of people, generally, it's so difficult. And there, it was so easy. Women see you coming, and they move out of the way. They know that you're moving through. They move out of the way. A crowd of millions of men would never do that. Yeah. This is when it is patriarchal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think... Uh, was thinking on, on that because I found uh, some connection between uh, 
different stories that I was uh, studying in the, in the last years. And uh, the same, uh, you know, there is a, when I think about an outdoor photographer, I'm thinking also how difficult can be uh, when you taking a picture to not only show the effect of the things, but also the why that things happen. Especially if you are in a, in a, in a, in a space uh, of conflict, you are in a space of conflict like, uh, you know, like Congo, where you had a lot of colonization, so where the patriarchal society was you know, just, uh, stealing things to, to other, uh, other group of people and uh, making slaves. And how complicated it can be for someone, uh, an author, with, uh, you know, coming from, from that same of patriarchal capitalist uh, society to, you know, telling the why that things uh, happen. Because, you know, most of the time, if we are taking pictures to a conflict, you know, what's the effect that you, you generate when your pictures are getting to the newspapers or to the, to the website of the news? In, uh, in countries that are uh, far from there, you know, what, uh, what the people got, like uh, mm. how mess are that country, how violent, but uh, why are like that, you know, and I agree totally with you, like uh, uh, the why of this society and this, uh, in general, this planet is so fucked up. And, but uh, we can see, you know, some bit of uh, changes, very important changes, for example, connecting to other uh, uh, folks we, we were uh, talking about uh, before. Uh, what do you think about the story of uh, the statue in Bristol? You know, after uh, mm, yeah, uh, right, right. Black Sleeve Mothers, uh, was a movement uh, that um, tried to remove uh, racist symbols, like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. old statues. Yeah, the guy in Bristol was a slave trader, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah. I mean, that statues are not only representing, uh, for example, if you get the statue of Colombo, it's not only representing you know, the, the conqueror of Latin America, the conqueror of uh, 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 an indigenous from um, an European country, but it's also, uh, you know, at that time, had some values for that society, having in Bristol that, uh, uh, that man represented in the sculpture, because, uh, and, and and probably where value that uh, for sure most of the people uh, was um, up for, and also some some of that values were also freedom or, or things that we now, if we look into that, is uh, are pretty controversial. And uh, but the, the great thing was in the, what happened to Bristol was uh, that the statue was break down, mm. and then they put a, a black female. Uh, activist on top of that basement great, on great. top of that uh, and uh, and that was great because it was not only destroying a sculpture but was removing the sign of the past a sign of uh, mm. a patriarchal violent society colonialist and are all synonymous like uh, uh, monotheist religion mm. patriarchy and right. uh, and capitalism are uh, different faces of the same coin Mm. was not only that, was was suggesting also a new symbol with new values. Right, a new solution. Yeah, and that to me was a, was a, great, uh, yeah. was a great idea, not only to destroy that symbol. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Women, they are the glue of the world. 
you know, using George Floyd and everything happening in America as an example, the black women are holding it together. Without them, the men in those communities would be going nuts if the women were not maintaining, holding space and keeping everything yeah. together. They are the solution in a real way. Yeah. Look, I, I was in Mexico during the 8th of March, uh, March uh, this year. It was a, was a big uh, uh, participation to that march. It was the, the Women's Day, 8th of March. And uh, I, I wanted to participate to that, but uh, a friend of mine said, she said, uh, uh, the purpose of the march is that only the women going in the streets because uh, and, and, and no man uh, could participate to the, to the march. And immediately I found that a limit to the protest because uh, I thought, you know, was a kind of exclusive, you know, like I was uh, excluding a part of the society to, yeah. to that protest. And, uh, and I had, uh, yeah, I spoke, uh, I spoke with, uh, with this person about that. Mm. And uh, and she was uh, she was uh, up for that, mm-hmm. and then I read a book. This uh, uh, is uh, Slavoj Zizek. He's a, a Slovenian uh, philosopher, uh, pretty popular. Mm. And um, two weeks uh, after, I, I read uh, one chapter of this book, which was about the change of the imaginary level of the society structure mm. for changing really. St- the structure. So, uh, in this uh, in this small chapter, he was talking about uh, with some examples about uh, our kind of societies. Uh, a patriarchal society is made by one level in, in, in the surface, which is uh, the rules that all of us join or accept mm-hmm. or uh, for stay in the society. That if you want to broke, you know you you have to get out to to, this, to, to that structure. And uh, and when you get out, you're gonna you're gonna lose all, all your privilege. So it's very hard to get completely out to to the to the structure of the society we live in. But we can't change the society if we're changing that surface. For changing the society, we need to change the imaginary. Mm. And the imaginary is is a is a deeper level, which is the the one who generate. You know the rules and generate the things that mm. you think will be free, but you are not free because if you really tomorrow decide to be free, you're gonna leave all your privileges. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I realized that the protest in Mexico was uh, the the most subver- subversive way of changing mm. things because uh, showing a street with there is no man, which is full of women, and also in the, in the during the same protest. Uh, all the women uh, stop, you know, make uh, uh, their their own job. So literally mm-hmm. in that day, mm-hmm. uh, the best part of the city was uh, without women at job in the offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, also in the even in the in the in the houses, you know, it was uh, also a, a private uh, a private uh, high school um, meeting party event. Yeah, when when you take a, a break from your job. Uh, okay. Anyway, you know, well, when, yeah. when you, so basically, in that way, they were showing a society without men, which is changing the imaginary of, uh, of the people. 
Mm. Like what? Uh, so it's literally giving to you mm. a question, which is uh, how this society can 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 work and can survive without women. Yeah, I found that uh, really interesting. That's the thing: a society cannot survive without women. Without women, we will all die, and the human race won't exactly. continue. It's exactly. as simple as that. But it, so that but it is, but it is so much more than that. It's not just they're not only the givers of life; they're the they yeah. maintain life. Women are the center, and that is why it was so sub subversive that action, and this is why also so subversive uh, what uh, the protest made in Bristol, changing completely mm -hmm. the symbol mm -hmm. and the values. Mm -hmm. So, for example, about this, you know, if you're thinking about. Uh, the the dominance of the the control of the images and the reflex is to control the imaginary of the people and you back to the time where I mean we're not so many years ago uh, but if you back 100 years ago in the same place where I am now which is uh, you know in Italy the the visual narrative was a control by the church because the only images you can get were inside the church or in, in you know, illustration in few books that, again, were in the church or were in, you know, just the, in the collection of some really rich families. So, and that was how the, the, the patriarchal society used the imaginary, it was a complete control. So what happened when it's completely out of control? Because, you know, through the advertising, how the society is still controlling the imaginary, you know, how women should be, how men should be, and all that, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and thinking about, you know, what happens if you thinking about a colonized country, like uh, Congo, for example? Is the way how the advertising show the women there the same of uh, how was the society before the colonization or not? You know, there are many, many questions on that, on the control of the imaginary of the people. Mm. I mean, for me, I realized this thing first in Paris years ago when I entered in, the, in one of the, this big church and I thought, and I realized that in the past, because, you know, Paris is full of visual, mm. visuals and images, in, you know, in the street. And when I was inside, I thought, oh, yeah, 150 years ago here, 100, 100 years ago, the only images you can see were... Uh, here in the church, or in the, you know, the paintings in the, in the few rich families' houses. Also, because you think the museums, it's a very recent idea. The museums start mm -hmm. in, the, uh, you know, in the 19th century, second part of the 19th century. Wow, yeah. So before we didn't have museums where to go to see you know, artworks. And, or the public. And yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and was another, you know, is, is another way of how the same patriarchal society uh, create its own structure. Like the museum is for, uh, you know, still showing our identity. is born at the same time that the nations were born. So the nation need a space, public space called museum to show how we, how we nation are. And if you're thinking how many artworks in the museums right now were stolen by in Africa or in other mm. you know, uh, uh, communities. And uh, yeah, maybe it's a good reflection for the comic book. Like, uh, you know. 
Thank you, man, for today. There's so much more I want to talk to you about, but I've thanks so much had you on for like three hours. <laughs> We've been talking yeah. about shit for three hours, which is awesome. Yeah. This is what I want to do eventually: is have like a like a three-hour podcast, and so we can talk like this, because this is not just an interview, not just a conversation, but we're actually going somewhere. We're actually building something. I hope so. So you and I just, you and I having this conversation, we've already talked now about concepts that are already a part of this Congo project that we're working yeah. on together. Yeah. And we're building on that and brainstorming. And yeah, it was, uh, was really inspiring to me because, uh, yeah, we're questioning, we're questioning so much about the uh, process of work, but uh, also how you approach to the to the things that uh, are right now important to, to us in the not only in the job. Yeah. So it's, I think it's, it's, it's almost impossible for a, for an author to be uh, or for an artist to be uh, you know completely isolated by the things that are uh, right now moving. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's great. Thank you, brother. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me and uh, inviting to this nice conversation. My honor, man. So, see you My soon. Honor. Yeah, see you soon.